Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Yeonmi Park, North Korean defector, human rights activist, and author of the book In Order to Live. We talk about authoritarianism, the current state of the world, and how it looks to someone from the outside. Yeonmi also tells us about how money works in North Korea, how she's become more libertarian, and how she views Bitcoin's role in the world. This was an eye-opening interview for me about the authoritarianism that we face. While most people talk about how different North Korea is, I was more surprised at how similar North Korea is to the U.S., especially in terms of its growing authoritarianism. This is where Bitcoin is a shining beacon of hope to take our freedoms back. I hope you enjoy this interview. Yummy Park, how's everything going? It's going wonderful. Despite everything, it's going great. Mm. Where are you right now in the world? I live in downtown Chicago. Mm, I see. And what's that like these days with COVID and everything? This was a very interesting year because, you know, it wasn't only COVID. There was a lot of summer unrest of racial injustice mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. So there has been lots of protests, but also of that, a lot of rulings where I live in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting year for me to learn and grow and understand new things. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. How long have you been in Chicago, actually? I was visiting here a lot, but I permanently moved here this year, like right after Christmas. So like in January, after New York. Mm. Oh, wow. So you've been in Chicago mostly during COVID where you can't really go out or anything. Exactly. Yep. I've been just here all this time. And before this, I lived in Manhattan. So it was mm. both are very interesting cities for sure. <laughs> well, what's it like for you? Because obviously you grew up in North Korea, you know, you know, were in China for a while. You were in South Korea for a while. I think you were in Seoul. And now, now you're in like these other cities in the U.S. Like, what's that like for you? How do you see these cities? It is a diff- different planet coming from mm. North Korea. Being in the U.S. is like really you know, one of the extreme you can get. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the furthest, like the opposite you can get, right? So mm. it is also, it's almost like sometimes unreal to me. Even like my mom was here until yesterday. She went back to South Korea we were talking about we I not even in widest dream in ours we were thinking we are going to end up in America. We always called a bastards country. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been so you know so unreal and also amazing. Mm, okay, one of the things that I get from all your interviews and your books and. Uh, everything is just how grateful you seem to be for the situation that you know especially today like in this era of covid even like when you're speaking about this it's just kind of like you seem to have a gratitude about it that a lot of people don't really appreciate right now (laughs) i guess maybe yeah i do hear that a lot like you're just so positive like why are you so happy and (laughs) and like i was like i don't need drugs to be happy you know (laughs) But I guess because I have seen the darkness and it does make me aware of the more lights around me. Mm. And that doesn't really mean that I don't have any bad days. Mm. I definitely do have bad days. Like my mother, 
she, you know, so appreciates even the light bulb, the lights coming, and she loves the sound of the refrigerator. She <laughs> them and she's like, look at that! Like there's a refrigerator, like robot, you know, always knows when to turn it on and turn it off. Mm. But she, every night when she goes to sleep, in her dreams are still in North Korea, oppressed, trying mm. to escape and scared and tortured. She cannot go to sleep without any medication that helps her to calm and like that. Mm. So she cannot really do daily activities during the day. Despite that, she's the most joyful person I know. Mm. And mm. you know, we are just grateful, even though in our dreams we are still in North Korea. At least while we are awake, we are in freedom. So you know, nothing to complain about it there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I read your book. The book ends sort of with South Korea, and I guess if you were to make a second edition, there would have to be another whole section on the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the U.S. and you know what you plan to do? I guess. Yeah. So what brought me to the U.S. was writing my memoir, as you said. I wrote the book in New York and in Montana. <laughs> so that was great. And then I went to school in New York at Columbia University. So that really made me to move here. Mm-hmm. But also the reason why I stayed or so tried to live my new life here was, you know, I mean, really honestly, I didn't, I was treated as a second citizen in South Korea. Mm. And despite everyone says like America is very not inclusive, I felt most included here in America where I don't even speak the language that well. So, <laughs> I think you speak fine, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like such an ironic situation. I went to South Korea in the hope of finding my people and my just like one Korea. There was no North and South Korea to me. Mm-hmm. But when I landed there, they were more branding me as some like, you know, some spy coming from the communist <laughs> country or some diff- like a backwards country coming there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that trustworthy. And coming to America was very refreshing because here people really didn't care that I was North Korean or what kind of history or what kind of th- things that I went through. They wouldn't care like who I am today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it didn't make me ashamed of my past being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because at least my immigration experience, I immigrated from South Korea when I was eight. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting because, you know, at least at first it was very difficult because I didn't speak English or whatever. But about a year in, I spoke enough English that I was able to get along with people. Mm-hmm. I think the reverse would have been much more difficult in part because of, you know, how Korea is. Mm-hmm. It's just very homogenous. There aren't that many people moving in per se, although yeah. I hear that's it's changing now. Whereas America is like this country full of immigrants. So they're used to lots of people that are coming in that, you know, like they haven't seen before or aren't familiar with. And it's just sort of like, oh, well, or we'll judge you on your merits instead of we're going to have all these preconceived notions about you. Yeah, I think that's the really, of, I think that's when I realized, oh, this is what they meant by American dream. Because mm. in South Korea, even though I spoke Korean really fluently, because I was saying few words differently than South Koreans, mm. 
<laughs> had like North Korean some vocabulary left in me. Mm-hmm. It was like they were just laughing at me, making fun of me. Mm-hmm. But here, I mean, I I don't even know most of like basic things, and people like as long as I know how to communicate basic things, they are okay with it. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like like it's just culturally very different. This is an immigrant country, and Korea is not used to it yet. Do you think that's going to change in South Korea? Because I do feel like. So I visited South Korea, you know, after I left, like in 94. And and that was weird because like (laughs) Kim Il-sung like died while I was there, which was kind of odd. But then I didn't go back until a couple of years ago, like 2018. So, yeah. And like during those 20 something years, Mm -hmm. it had changed so much. And one of the things I noticed was that there were tons of foreigners in Seoul, which I never saw when I was there. So, I mean, is that going to change, do you think? I think they have to be, right? South Korea is such a like, global economy. It's very westernized. And mm. I do think like, South Koreans are very open to the Westerners. Like, mm. I don't want to generalize, but like, they are more okay with the people who is like, more white, mm. English-speaking Westerners. Mm. But they are not really okay with the people like Vietnamese, Laos, or Thai, or North Koreans, like coming from the third world country. Mm. But I think, I mean, they have to change because they cannot really stop this movement of us becoming mixed race altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they will change, but it will take some time. And I think America is way more advanced when it comes to embracing diversity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think Korea will get there, of course, eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they kind of have to, right? Like the birth rates in Korea are insanely low. Like they, they're having to bring in tons of people from Vietnam. And so yeah, they have to. I, yeah, exactly what you said. They have no option in this. Mm, yeah. Other things that I was really curious about, like reading your book, like here's a quote that I want to read back to you from your book, page 69. And it's talking about how your parents needed to sell their house. But it's it was a tricky thing to buy and sell property in North Korea because everything belonged to the state. So that brought up just so many questions for me because, you know, in a communist state, you don't have personal property or private yeah. property at all. Yeah. But somehow you have money and somehow you have these things that you use. Like, how does money even work in North Korea? What's that all about? It's like almost like the basically it's a joke. Now I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Like, how were you even like operating in that way? So mm-hmm. there is no t- such a thing called a contract in North Korea. Mm. <laughs> I never even <laughs> like knew the word what contract was. Mm-hmm. There's no lawyers. There are no account. I mean, there are, I heard some like very lawyers, few people in Pyongyang, but like we didn't even, average people don't even know the word lawyer. Mm. We never need the like, defense. Governments like do whatever they want with us, right? We don't ever get defended by anyone. Mm-hmm. And no accountants. So basically, when we trade houses, it's all verbal. Mm. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about it. How the heck we trust it that much? <laughs> so <laughs> it's everything's verbally traded. So cows and properties like homes or lands or the cars is not people cannot own them so when we say like we sell the house in north korea that means we sell the right to live in that house until the government comes to ask you to leave 
<laughs> so that's like the overview in the context of mortgage. That's what we are saying: buying the house or selling the house. Mm. When we sell the house, it's not like we have a people around us witnessing. Just probably like two of us or three of us in the family members sitting down. Do you agree? Like this amount, I'm gonna now let you move in here. Mm. And that's how we buy house. No paper, nothing. Just like words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. So basically, you have the right to live in the house, and then the government might take it at any time and make you leave. Absolutely, yeah. They can. I mean, so whenever government is like, "Oh, dear leader gave us this house to live in," but that doesn't mean it's yours. They're gonna ask you to live after once you retire from that job, and then you just be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> that's like what is. That's our what? common sense there. <laughs> wow. So you literally get a house as part of your job and you get to use it until you leave that job? That's yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. A lot of people in Pyongyang, the scientist who works in this like building nukes or like the, all these mm-hmm. like sectors, the mm-hmm. government give them the house. And then once they are like done with the job, they have to go. And if they are like lucky or have those some... You know, corrupting friends, they can find a way to find different secure house. Mm-hmm. But usually, yeah, then you need to leave the home once you retire. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> there really is no private property whatsoever. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so how does money work? Do you have a bank account or do you keep it in cash? Are, are they bills? Like, what's that like? Yeah, that's a, such a funny story. So I knew though there's a place called the bank in my town and it was all empty. Nothing was there. So I was just playing with my friends in front of the yard of the bank. Mm-hmm. And I asked my parents, like, why they have built this place called the bank. And she couldn't tell me back then because she would get in trouble. But she told me now because so they didn't make a bank when my mom's generation, like, which is 40, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then asked people to deposit money in the bank. Mm. People did deposit the money and then government refused to give them the back the money. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to get your money back, you had to like bribe the person in the bank who has a position to give you some money on the side. So after that, people do not trust the bank, so did not put the money in the bank. Banks became useless. So that's the thing when I never knew what an ATM machine was or understanding the concept of credit card was mm-hmm. the hardest thing. Like <laughs> you put your credit card some kind of paper thing or card. I mean, it was so complicated. That's why when North Koreans arrive in South Korea, it's not like they're difficulty with learning new language you can learn language like from south korean to english very easily but you don't have the understanding of the concepts Mm. that is the Mm. hardest thing for north koreans to understand these concepts of you know banking even yeah and credit and interest and uh, you know just very complicated things yeah so let me get this straight. So they opened the bank and they had people deposit money and then they couldn't withdraw the money at all. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Some people did because they bribed someone in, in the bank on the uh-huh. side and they didn't even get the full amount, like some amount back. Mm-hmm. But most of them couldn't get it back. So they stopped using banks. So, so it's such a sad story. There are so many thieves in North Korea. I mean, because mm-hmm. life is so difficult, right? 
And so people really trying to hide money in the, you know, floor, they dig the ground or sometimes they really, because thieves come look for literally everything inside the pillows, you know, everywhere you can like hide something. And then my mom's friend, she was uh, put the money mm-hmm. inside the, in, the, in North Korea, we don't have this like gas or cooking things. We have to make a fire. Mm-hmm. And then cooking on top of it, so she put the money in there, mm. so Steve would not come and look inside after the fire in a place. Mm. And then she forgot one day and then made a fire. And then, oh no! <laughs> yeah, and she got so depressed. They were suffering so much afterwards. So you know, there are so many stories like those people just trying to hide their money, and it's a real problem because you know, it's money is like a very visible thing. So people can like come easily find it. Mm. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. So because the, the banks actually refuse to give you money back, yep. the, you, you have to store your money yourself and you end up losing it or, you know, getting it stolen or whatever. Yeah, it's very yeah hard to. So some people like when make the cement on the wall, mm. they put the money in the plastic bag and cement it all. Mm. And some people just come like destroy your wall and seeing if there's money hidden too. Oh wow, that's a pretty elaborate way of hiding money. Yeah. And who is it that steals? Is it just like people that are desperate, or is it government officials, or who? It's like a lot of soldiers because you know there. I mean, every man in North Korea who's like above four feet or something have to go to military. Mm. That's like how malnutrition affects people. Like North Koreans are so much shorter than South Koreans, mm-hmm. even though we are the same race. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so a lot of soldiers they go to military, and the regime doesn't provide food to them, and they say it's all self-reliance. Even though you are like in the military, you have to be self-reliant and find your own food, which means <laughs> being a thief. <laughs> so, so although these soldiers of this socialist paradise, they become thieves. And except a few ones really super elite groups in Pyongyang, the countryside, they're all suffering and malnourished. So they become thieves and look for these things. Oh, wow. So they just go into houses and start searching? Yeah, they do. And they just steal a lot of things. And, you know, they also have to survive. And that's why a lot of soldiers die in the military because of malnutrition and all those things oh wow that is so crazy so is it north korean currency that you're hiding or is it like foreign currency so in 2009 kim jong-un no no i think 2002 uh yeah nine or no ten something around then kim jong-un when he was trying to become the next heir to the party he did this thing called the currency exchange Mm. so he said like basically oh you only can exchange 30,000 yuan in North Korean money. doesn't matter you're a billionaire. It doesn't matter you're a multimillionaire. All you can get is 30,000 yuan. Mm-hmm. And then try to make everyone equal. Mm. So what do you think is going to happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like one day your government comes like, all you can be worth is $100 now in new, new currency. It doesn't matter how much you had in the past. And that's how he wanted to try to equalize everyone and bringing this socialist paradise idea to everyone. Mm. And that didn't work anymore because back then, my mom's parents, they were at least providing some kind of food and public rations. Mm. But 
North Korea stopped when I was born in the 90s. So if you don't give us money and no food and not letting us trade, like how do we survive? You cannot just like survive not eating, not anything, right? Mm-hmm. So that currency exchange brought so many tears to North Koreans. So they burned their cash. They oh, were wow. so angry. They were throwing the first like resistance happened in North Korea, which is like during that time they were throwing this money because they became trash because mm-hmm. the that like it's not worth anything now. All you can be awarding is this new currency is like 30,000 yen. Mm-hmm. So they were burning it. They were throwing it rivers and they were killing themselves. And then like North Korean regime for the first time realized this was a big mistake. So they executed the person to say, even though it was Kim Jong-un who did it, like someone on the official and said, it's your fault. Oh, wow. And then afterwards, that in 2009 or 10, North Korean people lost their faith in North Korean currency. Mm. So now in North Korea, in Pyongyang or other countryside, they use Chinese yuan and the U.S. dollar. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that people do not trust North Korean anymore. Mm. But that's what you were using before that currency reform. Yeah, I was using North Korean because I escaped in 2007. Mm. But a few years after I left, now like everybody's using foreign currency. Mm. And yeah, so that's how these people are trading these days. Wow. And how did they get their hands on foreign currency? It has to enter the country somehow. Through China. So there are a lot of smugglers and money brokers in the border side. And they bring Chinese yuan and the US dollars through China that way. Oh, wow. That's so crazy. (laughs) 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 So in a sense, you kind of have private property, right? Because you do have at least cash. That's yours, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Because North Korea, that's why it's not a socialist anymore. It became some crazy dictatorship with a religious court and... Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, like the corrupt gangsters or more like you think of North Korean regime can think of almost like a mafia, a gangster mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. They selling the the regime sells drugs. Like literally North Korean regime makes like ice and meth and cocaine and heroin and selling them to other countries. And they sell missiles and they sell people, their own people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is like very not normal country. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, so speaking of that, like how much Marxism did you learn? Like I understand, like at least from the book, the impression I got was that you learned to worship Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un, or, you know, those are like sort of like deities. But how much do you learn of, say, Stalin or Mao or Karl Marx? So North Korea does change their opinions a lot on their allies or their enemies. Mm. Like, do you remember like reading 1984 by George Orwell? Like one day your enemy was like on the <laughs> and the other day like you go there, your enemy just switched. Mm-hmm. So the war with the other one, like, like that. They were initially saying Lenin, Marx, and like uh, Mao were the heroes of this humanity. Mm-hmm. And then they were saying, oh, they were the betrayers of things and like, like that, they were saying China was our greatest ally, and then one day they were the, you know, mouthpiece for the Western propaganda, and they were switching a lot. But North Korea, what they did is like called like Kim Il Sung Zui or Kim Il Sung people. Mm-hmm. So they created the word not Asian; they created the word for Kim Il Sung race. Mm. 
Oh, wow. So North Koreans are not Asians. They are Kim Il-sung race. And our calendar doesn't begin with when Jesus was born. Our calendar begins when Kim Il-sung was born, which is like Jute year. So we we call Jute 1, Jute 2, like Kim Il-sung was born. That's like our history begins. Oh, wow. So you're in year 100 something? Yeah, we are like 100 <laughs> something right now, because that's like when Kim Il-sung was born. <laughs> <laughs> and then they rewrite the, this whole thing from the, they initially started as communism and then socialism. But then they found this thing called the, like Jute ideology, like mm-hmm. self-reliance. Mm-hmm. And then they found their own ideology, which is making Kim's as gods. Mm. And yeah, it's like they created a religious court afterwards. And how did that evolve exactly? Like, where did it sort of change along the way? So I think the power, you know, any absolute power corrupts. So I think it just, they got corrupted. And the Kim Il-sung's son, Kim Jong-il, when he was trying to be, you know, trying to take over because Kim Il-sung had a lot of kids from other wives too. Mm. And, you know, as Kim Jong-un, he's not the, from the first wife. They all have to compete to be the heir. Mm. And Kim Jong-un be trying to nice to his father. He was trying to, he was in this department of propaganda and creating this opera, music, and art to really make a myth about, as a, like, mythical, like, feature of this his father. Mm. So that really began, I heard, like, around the 70s and 80s. So when I was born, like I was completely in the final version of like mythical Kim Il-sung time. But my mom's, when she was young, it wasn't still that as bad. Mm. I see. So it, it was a lot less earlier on and then they just ramped it up as, I don't know, I guess as they went on or something. Yeah, I mean, like, when people like saw Kim Il-sung, like people saw that he's not a god, so they... But like now, like my generation, of course, we don't know how he looks like. And if they tell us he's a god, we're going to believe that he's a god. Mm. And like, so they were killing, eliminating a lot of people knew the facts about Kim's. And they were really like editing these photos of Kim Il-sung only looks really great. Mm. And he had this like a lot of defects in his life feature, but they were all hiding it to us. Mm-hmm. and you know saying things about kind of miracles they can make and people like more people who knew about the truth of dying eventually what you read in like animal farm the last generation of pigs they don't even know what it was like before then mm-hmm. so like me like i didn't even know what alternatives were there mm-hmm. i thought that was like only universe that we all were in <laughs> wow Wow, so crazy. So I guess you didn't learn that much about Karl Marx or socialism and communism. It was much more Kim's. geared towards Juche ideology. and It was everything about Kim's. It was all about memorizing how many, you know, what kind of victories they won, how many miracles they can make, and about the poem that Kim Jong-il wrote, like about Kim Il-sung's birthday, his father's birthday, his mother's birthday, what year he had, like, Battles with Japanese, like tons of nonsense. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, this is like the most important subject in school. Mm-hmm. You can fade at math, you can fade at like writing, but you cannot fade at the history of Kim Il Sung and Kim Jong Il and Kim Jong Un. Oh wow! You so family in trouble, yeah. 
<laughs> wow, this is so crazy. So they don't care if you fail at no. you know something basic like you know reading and writing, but if you don't memorize like the birthdays of you know Kim's relatives, you you I don't know what do they do to you if you can't. I mean, they're gonna bring our parents to the school and gonna ask them to write down the self criticism things, like how they fail to educate their children. <laughs> and then if it's severe, they're gonna send them to labor camp. <laughs> wow. And, be, and then they're gonna criticize you publicly among all your colleagues, how they fail that, you know, revolutionizing their children. And also, we are going to go to the manual labor to rethink about our faults in the revolution and then learning more about the revolution history and become the better revolutionary. It's all about revolution in North Korea, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It reminds me of like some like people that lived under communist Russia at one point. And they were telling me that. You know, it's all about protecting yourself and making sure that the workers' revolution continues and then you can get to sort of this workers' paradise or something like that. At least that stuff seems to have lasted. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the socialist paradise, right? They like, oh, you suffer, you suffer, but we will get there. And that's a paradise. It's like almost like they copy the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. To suffer during this on earth, glorifying God and living his wishes and preaching his words. But when you die, you join him, no suffering with God. Mm. That's what they're saying. Like, oh, Kim Jong-il, I mean, Kim Il-sung loved us so much. He gave us his son, which is Kim Jong-il. And his body dies, but his spirit never dies like Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> with my thoughts, he knows what I think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like like when I was reading Bibles, like oh my God, this is like Kim Il Sung and Kim <laughs> <Kim> you know. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like I don't know where I read this, but I read that they actually purposefully took a lot of biblical references and just sort of like changed it up or something, because like before you know Kim Il Sung came into power and all that, North Korea was actually a very devout country, you know, like that area, and like they killed so many people that were Christian and so on, and. I don't know. Like I heard, for example, that Kim Il Sung's mom's birthday is very close to Christmas. For example, is mm-hmm. that true? Yeah. So that is a very yeah very correct. Pyongyang especially was really hub for these Christians. Mm-hmm. They were like thriving with uh, these Christian missionaries. Mm-hmm. But so Kim Jong Kim Il Sung, the first Kim's mother, was a very devout Christian. Mm. And then Kim Il-sung was very brilliantly copied the Bible and knew how to brainwash people, how to make the logic of it. Mm-hmm. So actually his wife, Kim Jong-suk, mm-hmm. Kim Jong-il's mother's birthday is on December 24th. Mm-hmm. So I did not know what Christmas was in North Korea. I mean, we celebrated December 24th because there was like the mother of our nation's birthday. Mm. I came to the West, people were saying it was Christmas. Like, what is Christmas? <laughs> and they were like, you don't know Jesus? Like, who is Jesus, right? <laughs> and yeah. in North Korea, I don't know if Kim Jong-suk was born on that day, but they did make a December 24th as a national holiday mm. and celebrating the mother of our nation, which was like Kim Jong-il's mother. Mm. Wow. So that whole, so they did take that and sort of incorporate it into this weird cultish ideology i guess yeah um, i mean that's the thing like when people try to understand north korea as a normal country it's not it's a religious court like what the regime tells us like why the 
So what how the regime understood is like when you become a god, you don't need a logic to explain things to people. Mm. Like here, oh, I cannot see God, but how do I believe you are there? It's like you don't understand as a mere human. It's a God's creation, like God's lover. Mm. How dare you asking for seeing God <laughs> or seeing the miracle in front of your eyes? So they were they knew that in order to brainwash us making all these absurd claims, they had to be a god. Otherwise it's impossible. Mm. So they became gods and then made us to never challenge the logic. Oh wow. So this is sort of taking all of what you just said and like applying it to a little bit to what's going on today. So a few of the things that I've seen in your videos, and you kind of mentioned the whole self-criticism session mm-hmm. uh, where you have to criticize yourself and then maybe even point out a colleague or a comrade to uh, criticize and so on. Like when I see stuff like, you know, critical race theory, where a lot of these companies, you have to go to these sessions where you have to talk about how you're a racist, right? Like, it it seems very similar to me. Like, do you worry about any of that? Oh, my. I don't even know where to begin. Mm. I mean, it's a shame. Mm. Culture is so that I didn't expect you to see here. Mm. Like, somehow you're not woke enough. (laughs) (laughs) You're not aware enough you're not sensitive enough it's like some in a way so in north korea of course like the first thing my mom taught me was not even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me and if Mm. i said something wrong it wasn't only going to kill me but it was going to take three generations of my family with me to the political prison camps So I, I mean, we escaped that and I came to the West and I see people saying the, having a different views, having different mm-hmm. opinions, and then that get them fired from their jobs. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as North Korea, but in a way it would be more scarier to me personally is because like even the things that I'm telling right now, in North Korea, if I were lucky, there was no mice and then birds, <laughs> I would survive. Mm-hmm. But in this country, it's all recorded. Everything is on the internet. It doesn't disappear. So it can haunt me 70 years later or even haunt my own child later. Mm. And it's the, the thing is, like, in, like you, can, you really cannot change your mind here. And that's what, I mean, I went to Columbia University in New York, and it's all about learning about being awakened and sensitive and caring and, and it was like I got into fights with my professor because mm. she was telling me that when letting men to hold the door for you is like it's a toxic masculinity and they are trying to show you they are higher than me and they're more powerful than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, this is at Columbia University. It's like one of the best institutions in the world. Literally, foreigners have to pay fortune to study there and this is what i have to take it's like in the one of the core that everyone must take mm-hmm. i was like no i mean like i even hold the door for other people it's not because i try to show them that i am the powering overpowering them mm. being kind being nice and she was like you and me you're just so brainwashed from north korea you just don't get it <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh and 
so this is like a new mess that I found in the U.S. Like, oh my, this is like another twisted victiming, mm. shaming people for the things that they didn't even do for like hundreds of years of what their ancestors did. And now they're asking these people to pay for it. And the people who said they're victims are not even slaves themselves. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was a slave. I was sold for mm-hmm. like less than $300 mm-hmm. in my lifetime. And my mom was sold for $65 in this 21st century. And I don't ask for China to pay me for that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, And it just, yeah. It is a, such an interesting world that we are living in now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what I was thinking was like, this sounds a lot like Marxism, right? Like this is part like straight out of the Marxist playbook where you kind of get people to denounce one another. And that's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that carried over to North Korea. But like one of the things I was reading in your book was about, you know, you're seeing some North Korean propaganda come through where they're getting your relatives to denounce you and your mother. And that to me is just just exactly like how it works in the U.S. almost where, you know, after you say something insensitive, like everybody denounces you. They get like and they go over to every single person and say, "Okay, do you denounce what this person did? Do you denounce what this person did? It feels very similar to me. Yeah. It's like you remember this time. Who was the guy who wrote the musical Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah. I I know who you're talking about. I mean, like. He supported the Black Lives Matter, and then he didn't say it early enough mm. that he got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it just, I think in a way, it's way more crazier to me here. It's like, I don't know where this is going. Mm. That's what scares me that like, I mean, I don't even want to speak insensitive. Like, I mean, having a different opinion doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. Mm. It doesn't mean that I'm being insensitive. Mm. Like, why, when, how did we come to hear that feelings is above logic? Mm. <laughs> and that's like what North Korea was, right? Like brainwashing and like being a god and making us believe. Belief was more than like, in, important than like the logic. Mm. And here is the same thing. And it's, that definitely scares me, literally scares me that I don't know when it's going to stop and where is it heading to and... I don't even know what my future holds after all these things that I say publicly. I like when am I even able to gonna get a job? Mm. You know, like any normal corporation will they even take me? I don't think Google will take me. We, as you know, he they fired this man who had a very normal, different like logic opinion, and they fired the guy. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if I can find a job if I speak my mind freely here. <laughs> Well, this is one of the things that I've railed against for forever is is that there's almost like a cultural Marxism almost in the corporate world where if you don't have the correct opinions on something, they kind of get rid of you. Yeah. And but the thing is like that, that I think public was almost like a lot of public wants that, right? They ask people to fire people if they have said anything, something different than what they want. And even they keep changing what's the right way to do things. Mm. So how can we ever meet their perfect standard? And mm. I mean, the diversity that I was looking for in this country was like diversity of thoughts and opinions. Mm. And what they want is like uniformity thoughts. <laughs> Which is exactly what you came from. <laughs> it's not true yet. Like they want us to see the same way, exactly the same level. If we do not, they shame us. 
and they calling our names and this is like I don't know how Americans are in the land of free. Why are they letting this happen? Mm. Well, that's a really interesting question to explore because, mm-hmm. in a sense, like how did North Korea get to be how it is, right? Like how did it get that bad? Like was it? Just they had overwhelming military force. Like, was there something more subtle there? I think it was definitely both. Mm. They had this way of zero tolerance. Mm. They did not take any any dissent. That's exactly the reason why there is no dissent in North Korea, unlike in Iran and Cuba, mm. or even China. They are not even the China degree of. That tolerance is zero tolerance. They literally wipe three generations of your family out mm. if you show any sign of dissent. Mm. That definitely made me made people silent, stay silent. And another thing is like in the beginning, wasn't that horrible? Like according to my like grandma, mm-hmm. but it gotten that horrible because everyone stay silent and. I think if they, in the beginning, every, everyone stood up for their rights, they could have fought for it. But the thing is, like, when it came to my generation, mm. I didn't even know what French Revolution was. Mm. It was in my concept that people can fight against the government mm. and demand their rights because that was never in our textbook. And, you know, people often think like, oh, we know things inherently, but no, like, look at the baby. What do they know? They are not going to know what revolution is. Mm-hmm. So, like, we are like those kids. We need to learn. And because they didn't t- teach us in North Korea, we didn't even know that was an option to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. They, so it sounds like, at least in your analysis of what happened in North Korea, it's that it wasn't so bad. They got a lot of stuff for free. I mean, I know for my parents, I was talking to them a while back, and they were saying how they, like, they went to school in the 50s, right, after the Korean War. And they had school, like, outside, and they rode in the dirt because they yeah. didn't have paper, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it was actually, like, around the same level or maybe even better in North Korea. So. Yeah. I wonder if that's part of it is that it, because it wasn't so bad that got people to comply more than they otherwise would have. Yeah, I think. But the thing is, like I asked my grandma, like, you know, South Korea, North Korea, they do definitely demonize Japan a lot. And they talk about colonization of Japan as something that was the worst thing ever happened to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, she was as a child worked as a, as a like a housekeeper, like the slave. It's not like house, there's no dignity for them, like a housekeeper in the Japanese household. Mm. So she was like worse you can get. She was a slave to Japanese whole, like couple and the, she was, you know, as a child washing and like like sleeping with animals in the barn. And she said even that was better than living in the Kim Il sung time. Oh wow. So, you know, I think it what they really was like creating this fear. Mm. And that's what I see in the US right now. What they're doing is like fear. Like, oh, if you dare to stand up and having different opinion than us, I'm going to go destroy you. I'm gonna destroy your character. Mm. And it's so much like this character assassination happens. And they're taking things out of context and go against you. And they are trying to expose a lot of personal things and make you not getting a job. So 
all this like the method of like intimidating. Mm. That's I think what stopped North Koreans to rise, and you know also like here's no public execution, but North Korea they did lots of public execution to show people like it was a mandatory, even as a minor, like mm. it doesn't matter you are five years or ten years, just you have to go see public execution like everybody else, and they put you in the first row because you are shorter than the adults. Oh wow! Put the kids, the youngest, in the most front. Of the public execution, and then let you see like this is what happens if you think differently, if you have different opinions. Mm. And we're kind of seeing that, although it's not like physical death, you see a lot of these people that get sort of humiliated in this way often like come to symbolize, I guess, like what would happen to you if you speak up at your job and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, like object to racial sensitivity training or something like that. Yeah, I just Jesus Christ! Like I never knew this is like what I was going to do in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the land of free, like you know, where everyone having entirely their different opinions and all of that. And suddenly, I was so scared. Like at Columbia, like before class, literally the universities, like professor was saying things. Oh, we are going to talk about the white, like you know the books that white people wrote, like Jane Eyre. And, and this is all like colonial mindset in there. We should not read the book. And then if this upsets you, you don't even need to come to class. You don't even need to read the class material. And then they literally send you email beforehand. Oh, in the book that we read, if this part, someone's talking about their race experience, if this triggers you, don't come to class. I understand. Mm. And like people letting them to bring their comfort animals, dogs. Mm-hmm. And I had a baby, but they do not allow baby to come to the class. Mm-hmm. They allow the dogs to come to, and just like definitely, I mean, because I was in the university, I felt so much more every day how everybody was, in a way that delusional to me, mm-hmm. and so, like frightening, mm-hmm. and just I have to see the population in general. And I, is that the same? The companies like that, or is this only universities doing this? I mean, I think universities are definitely the worst, but the companies are not that far behind. I oh, don't no. think. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! <laughs> we gotta all go to Mars then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I mean, there, there. Um, the the thing that at least having been in the U.S., I mean, like it wasn't nearly that bad when I was in college. That was like ninety four to ninety eight. Uh-huh. But like back then. I still remember arguing with my sociology professor, mm-hmm. you know, she was claiming that all of these people were oppressed and that if you're like, yeah. you know, male, that, you know, you're kind of horrible or something. And this was back in the 90s, you know, and I thought that was ridiculous. And I told her so, and she gave me a C minus. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, it's been in that system for a long time. And this is where I think, This whole cultural Marxism thing is just so kind of scary to me because in a sense, I think this is how societies become kind of totalitarian like North Korea. That's where you kind of end up when you go down this road. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, look at Venezuela, how quickly they fell. I mean, it just, it only takes one generation to fall into that uh, dictatorship. It takes forever to build a healthy, functioning democracy. 
Mm. It took just one generation. And not even that, like you look at Venezuela, how quickly they gone that road. Mm. So the fact that American people think like, because I mean, they all their life, what they have experienced is freedom. So they don't ever think this can happen to them. And it's like that until you get a cancer, you never think that's going to happen to you. Mm. Right. Like until, because like my father had a cancer and I never in my life thought a family of mine was going to die from a cancer. Mm. And like that, like until you get into car accident, you never think that's going to be happening to you. Mm. And it's like that. Some people really think it's a social thing. I say to them, like, freedom is fragile. Freedom is not free. It's like, oh, that's so, such a cliche thing to say. Mm. And no, it's like it's a universal truth. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 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 That whole thing about freedom is that unless you really step up to defend it, you know, it, it's constantly just sort of being sucked out from under you because there's a lot of people that can benefit by taking away your rights. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, I mean, I'm so like scared now because I mean, it's only this is a month why I was doing my YouTube channel. Mm. Until then, I was really trying to be sensitive and trying to really being politically correct. Mm. And I was thinking like, this is not why I cross a desert by foot Uh (laughs) for being like this, not living my truth. Mm. And I fought when there was no chance of me winning, but still in America, I still have more chance than when I was back in North Korea and China. Mm. So this is like almost like coming out for me. <laughs> I'm so afraid. Like, I did not think people like you existed. <laughs> As I say this, they're going to call me Nazi, racist, all of that. <laughs> so, it actually, made me more compassionate to people who couldn't come out as gay in the past like oh this is how they felt (laughs) (laughs) try being a gay conservative oh my goodness (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean there it is kind of there is sort of like a dominant cultural sort of oppression well not quite oppression sort of narrative out there that's very difficult to go up against isn't there and Mm -hmm. does that remind you of north korea at all oh my so the other last month in the Mission Avenue, I was attacked by three, two, three black women. Mm. It was like a violent robbery in the middle of Michigan Avenue in Chicago. It's like five, Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Mm. It's like so many people walking by and these three girls pushed me to the corner and then took my wallet. And then I have a nanny who is like a Muslim wearing hijab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> myself is like Asian I'm also a color person whatever they say this in the pyramid of this victim mode I am all of that mm-hmm. and then because I am Asian I was asking these three blackers like I'm not accusing anything can you stop until I call the police and she just punched me on my chest with her fist and then she was saying oh I'm a you're a racist you're a bad person and then everybody on the street in the Michigan there's only 20 people Mm. were circling me, trying to me put me in a corner so I cannot call the police on these girls and then asking these girls to run. And, wow. And then, like, these people were seeing me being punched. I'm, like, so much smaller than these three girls. And my nanny is right next to me with a hijab, wearing hijab. Mm-hmm. And my son, two years old, like, totally in a stroller, like, horrified seeing what it is. Mm-hmm. 
And I called the police and then this girl used my credit card to go to Bloomingdale and bought something, 34,000 amounts, something, whatever they bought. So they got a fridge and I took the video of this girl while I was being punched. And then police arrest the girl and then she's being tried, I think, this week. Mm. I mean, I'm not even upset at these girls who robbed me, but the people like literally like asking me like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You're crazy. You're a racist. You're a bad person. Like mm-hmm. colors, their skin doesn't make them thief. Mm. And like, I'm not a racist. That's why I don't see the color. <laughs> I <laughs> them like humans. Why does it matter? They're black or white or Asian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is madness. These people are delusional. They are like all gone mad. Like they literally saw in their eyes I was getting punched and these girls were running and mm. they still defend them and not me. Mm. This is like not a common sense, right? In the in the movies, you see somebody get robbed. You say, thief and thief, people trying mm-hmm. to help you. Mm-hmm. Not calling you racist because you are the wrong color of the skin. Mm. And like this was like definitely a time I realized, oh, I cannot go into this road pretending this is okay anymore. Because like I cannot let my son to live in this world because he's a half Asian and half American. I mean half white. What the worst combination can be? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like in North Korea we have the different Sangbun status, the family background mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. And James got the worst of the worst, my son. Well, I guess that this is sort of like the caste system in America a little yeah. bit that, that they're trying to implement. That's interesting that you draw that parallel because it really is sort of like levels of victimhood that you were talking about earlier. It almost is kind of like a class in itself, isn't it? It's a class. Yeah, it absolutely. If you're like trans, black, whatever, all these sorts of stuff with, it, with you in it, then like you are the highest of the pyramid and then go to rape victims, different color, color. And the last is like white men. Mm-hmm. They are the world. They cause every problem in this world. They are the problem, the source of problem, everything. According to my professors at Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> white men is a source of every single problem that this world has right now. Mm. And I'm like, things are not that like black and white. <laughs> <laughs> That's like how simple the word was. Yeah. And it's very easy to explain it that way and not get into sort of the nuance or the complicated history of everything. And instead, it's just sort of like a slogan. It reminds me of Animal Farm, right? Like four legs good, two legs bad. And then then just go with that. You know, that's what that sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this simplicity and making us not being the critical thinkers mm. and then saying like, oh, you're oppressed, you're the victim and you have to be have outrageous. And then like in order, that's what they taught us not to think critically. Mm. So the fact that when I went to escape to South Korea, someone literally had to teach me that Kim Jong-il was fat. <laughs> in the photos that he was the fattest guy. But I didn't think that way because all my life I sang songs like Dear Leader, Please Eat. He wasn't mm-hmm. enough for his people. He was working tirelessly. He doesn't sleep at night. And all life I was singing those songs in brainwash. I never thought in my mind that he was fat. <laughs> and this is what is becoming in America. They are like literally in universities. It's not like teaching how to think, but they're teaching you how to think the way they think. Mm. Yeah, they're indoctrinating. 
yeah, it's like it's definitely the propaganda is another brainwashing, and people are not able to think differently. Mm. And, you know, obviously that's led to significant deterioration in like education and so on. I, I don't know how much worse it's gotten over the last 20 years, but it sounds like. Uh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying like, there's no way I'm going to pay for the tuition if my son chooses to study liberal arts in Ivy League school. It's like, no way. Not even one single penny I'm going to pay for you. <laughs> You're going to do it. <laughs> Well, what do you hope to sort of, what sort of education are you hoping for your son? I'm so horrified about like sending my child into any public school mm. and even private schools. I'm saying like this one narrative, it's like uh, white people are the worst of the worst and they have to feel guilty about being white and being a certain race. It's like, with a shame, you can never reach your fullest potential as a human. Mm. That's what we meant to do. There's nothing, no forgiveness in this current narrative. Of course, the white people did it wrong. Like, and a lot of people did it wrong. Like, mm. nobody's perfect, but there's no forgiveness in it. And and I want him to. I, we are still searching, and maybe we're gonna just send him to more like just science technical school, mm. and all those humanitarian things we are gonna teach him or with a tutor, mm. and just maybe only like learning math and science, the technical things. But not, yeah, so we really have to look for right school. And it's so scary one day my son becomes these people and then telling me how, you know, I'm not sensitive enough. And <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the day, like, he's going to think that socialism is the best thing that can have ever happened to America. Mm. And it's like America enabled him to be born. Like, in North Korea, they don't accept the international marriage. So he never exists in North Korea. Only freedom in this country. He can. He would be able to born, and then if he says this is wrong, I don't know where to go afterwards. Mm. And because my son never suffered like me, he never seen the true horror of socialism and authoritarianism. Mm. He will not get it. I mean, hopefully he gets it, but not. So we are really trying to get him right education for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think this is why your book is just so important because you, you get to kind of get an idea of just how horrible things can get if you go down this authoritarian route. Yeah, but the thing is like almost like, yeah, I think my book is one of the examples of it, but it can get way, way worse than what I experienced in North Korea because now look at China with this social credit system. Mm -hmm. They got this facial recognition. They got this abstracts what you order, what you eat, what you text. Mm -hmm. In North Korea, wasn't they didn't have electricity to do that. They didn't have <laughs> to do that. And this new level of oppression is something I don't think anyone has ever seen in humanity history. Mm -hmm. So yeah. China is going towards this, like almost giving, a, giving us good insight that what is coming to America. Mm. Well, so here's a question for you. And this is something that I've mulled over and I want to get your take on it. I always thought that the sanctions against North Korea were kind of backwards. Like in a sense, you're, you're hurting the people that haven't really done anything to you. You're trying to hurt the leaders, but they're going to get whatever they want anyway. They can send spies over or like ambassadors over and get you know, sushi or take trips to Disneyland or whatever the heck they do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the trade sanctions essentially made it so that all of the people that were 
you know, under this oppression, they were the ones that ultimately suffered. So mm. my take has always been, uh, you know, like these sanctions are doing the opposite of what everybody wants. If there was more trade, then these people would have, you know, more to eat, for example, and be more exposed to Western stuff and be even cause reform, albeit slowly, just within the country. I think the argument maybe that the other side would make is based on what you just said about China and how they're using a lot of technology to oppress its people. So what's your take? Like, would ending sanctions be good for North Korea or head them towards more freedom? Or would it be the opposite? Yeah, I'm absolutely so glad you asked the question. And also, you know, to say that is like, <laughs> I almost like the first thing is like, oh, the fake news, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> like, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm. So we have to look at the facts, right? Mm. Sanction, lifting sanction is what Kim Jong-un wanted to going into the Hanoi with the Trump. Why Trump walked away is because Kim Jong-un saying, one thing I want out of this summit is lifting sanctions. Mm. And Trump was like, I want you to remove the nukes first. Mm. Uh, it's like why Kim Jong-un is so desperate coming to all the way to Hanoi and then meeting Trump and begging for lifting sanctions. If this doesn't hurt the regime, why would he come? Do you think literally Kim Jong-un went there to fight for his people? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh-huh. So the very first thing we need to think is like if Kim Jong-un wants this to be lifted, mm. then we know that he's being benefited by this and he's very urgent about this. So that is the one sign that sanction is good for Kim Jong-un. Mm. Second evidence is, look at me, why did I escape? When in the sunshine policy by Moon, the Kim Dae-jung and Noh Moon-yeon, mm-hmm. in the early 2000 and that time when I was actually in North Korea, South Korea sent hundreds of millions of cash. And they said, like, I sent a cow. Have you received it? Literally, one of the like, South Korean asked me, like, he sent a cow for him to be fed in North Korea. They sent the medical supplies and rice, everything. Mm. And that is the time that most of the North Koreans suffer the most. Mm. So when you send these things to the North Korean side, this doesn't come to us. That's why I escaped. If that thing came to me, you, by the way, still the United Nations, their food program sending things to North Korea. Mm. If that, that came to us, no one would have escaped from North Korea. Mm. But they didn't because in our time, remember, like they were asking to gathering these kids who are so malnourished in a room and then asking these people from the UN to look at them. And then they see the, like this, how malnourished we are and they go back and they send things like all the formula, everything, and it doesn't come to us. And the, so those things don't reach people. It only goes to Kim Jong-un's pocket. But how Kim Jong-un uses that? It is true. It goes to North Korean people, but the people who want the regime to maintain the control. Mm. So North Korea, in we say that one of the things they do is a gift to politics. It's a mm. socialism. So mm-hmm. Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un use that things that he receives for free, giving it to the most elite people as gifts and show them, oh, this is why you need to be royal to me the people in Pyongyang. Mm. And the reason why nursing people are suffering right now is not because we don't have money or we don't have food. 
this is like what people forget. It's not Haiti. It's not like Ortukiki hits us. It's not Africa. There's like internal war or gangs or there's like droughts or the environment's causing it. They have the North Korean regime spends like 80% of GDP on building missiles. If they spend just 10% of their like GDP in that, no one would have to die in North Korea from starvation. Mm. They're making us starved on purpose. Creating this man-made famine is because do you read the Hunger Games, right? Have you read I, that? I haven't, but I'm familiar with the concept. So it talks about like 13 different districts. There's a capital and 13, 13 different districts and giving them ration is a weapon for the regime. Mm. And then they also make everyone hungry because if you were fed and then your next word is not about surviving for the evening or next meal or tomorrow, you're going to start thinking about meaning of life. Mm. We're going to think of a higher purpose. Mm. And then it's put into a different mode of thinking. So they make us on purpose starved. So mm. all we can think is, how am I going to find food for the next meal? That's like every night my parents just getting up at 2 a.m., get scared they would not be able to find food for us to eat and their children are going to die from starvation tomorrow morning. So Northern people do not have any energy to think about being free or having human rights or none of that or traveling abroad, none of that. Like mm. all they're thinking is surviving mode. And that puts us in regime to distract the people from the fighting for more food and they can use all their money to making missiles and then using those food to, as a gift to the elites. So elites knows that once they escape to South Korea or America, they become like everyone be equal but in north korea there's a status so if they like escape they are going to lose their status royal status mm-hmm. so these people get incentivized maintaining this status as much as kim jong-un does so that food that sanction that we, if we lift them it is only going to enrich these people who want maintaining this current situation mm-hmm. and that is never gonna go into the people mm-hmm. so that's the thing, like all these people think oh, I'm going to North Korea as a tourist, right? It's the same argument. Like if I go there, show them how open-minded, loving Western people are, they're going to change. No, those people you meet as guys, everything is like set up. It's like Truman Show. It's like you are going to the movie set of Kim Jong-un. Mm. Everything's set up. Everybody's set up. And the people who become the guy to you or become the waitress, everybody is there benefiting of this system. So it's like, you know, you're just visiting like White House to America and then you say, oh, that's like, I'm going to try to change White House. And like, (laughs) it's it's not that way. So it's really sad, like how people, you know, especially on the left Mm -hmm. and especially the sympathizers of the socialism and Kim Jong-un, you know, there are tons of people worship Kim Jong-un, even in America, in Spain, Brazil, everywhere, in South Korea, especially nowadays. And people who are on the left really fighting against with sanction because sounds so bad, right? Sanction word. So mm. they're really trying to lift this for Kim Jong-un. And it's this fake news is so out of control. And they don't talk to actual real North Koreans who escaped from the regime then who never ever received any of these things. Mm. And like you talk to any defector, they are gonna say they never received anything from the international community help. Mm. 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 Yeah, I still remember seeing like a picture, I think it was in like Time Magazine or something, sometime in high school, where there was a lot of like food aid being given over. And they showed a picture 
of like that same food being sold on the black market somewhere. Yeah. So the officers sell them in the black market and Mm -hmm. it's very expensive for us. And then Mm -hmm. they make their money that way. So Mm -hmm. it only enriches the people in the power. They become more powerful and powerful and they get more resources to control and then oppressing people. And using all that money, they are building tons of camps in North Korea right now. There was never more camps in North Korea than now. Mm. All that money is like building more camps and nukes. Yeah, it sounds like I guess you you're making the argument, I guess, that like China's got a lot more money as a result of sort of modernizing and so on. Mm-hmm. But they're also using that money to build a lot of camps for the Uyghurs and, and so on. So, yeah, I can definitely see that because for me, like, you know, I'm very libertarian. So I'm I'm all for free trade and, you know, doing things on a voluntary basis. But That might be a level of surveillance. Like you were talking earlier about how in America, everything's recorded. Well, if North Korea had the the technology, they would totally do exactly that. Just that they don't. No, they already have begun that journey. They are, China are sending them tons of the cameras. Uh, mm. recognition devices to the border areas mm. so they in the company see who's there who's not and then putting all these cameras on the border in the river mm. so yes all the guards have to really make sure look everywhere and then see someone cross they shoot them but now they put the, so many cameras so if you see the numbers the defection also i mean coming from north korea became almost impossible now Mm, wow, that's so sad. I mean, how do you see this whole thing ending? Like, do you see, like, I can't see the Kim regime in, in North Korea ever giving up nuclear weapons. I don't think, like, they would ever do that because that's their only leverage that they have against the rest of the world. Yeah. I, and I can't see the people rising up either. So how do you think this ends? China. Mm. Western countries have to rise and stay unified and we have a one voice that, to China that stop causing so much suffering to humanity. Mm. China sponsors dictatorship in North Korea. Mm. <laughs> China, without CCP, without CCP, North Korea can never even survive one day. Mm. Like, North Korea have no resources. They don't even have to make one gallon of oil by themselves. Mm-hmm. How are they going to test missile without oil? How they drive up their tanks? Mm. If the China stops oil supply to North Korea, the country just collapsed right there. Mm. They cannot even do the like blowing up the nukes in anywhere. Mm. China refused to stop sponsoring this dictatorship because they use the Kim Jong Un almost also as a revolution to negotiate with China and make a buffer zone for the freedom of democracy and human rights coming into them on their border. Mm. So, I mean, people just think like, oh, Kim is the most horrible thing one, but no, actually China is worse than Kim's. Mm. Because they've been sponsoring it for over 70 years. Mm. So fixing China is so, I mean, North Korea is so easy. As if we get China, like Trump got that right in the beginning. He always said, like, yeah, we need to fix China in order to fix North Korea. Mm. But then, like, Trump got distracted by the Kim Jong Un's love letters, and then now <laughs> love with him. But <laughs> as he said in the beginning, it was so right that China was a key. We need to raise awareness on the Chinese role in North Korean dictatorship. 
and then shame them and boycott them and then but the thing is like New York Times, CNN, I mean Disney, I mean Hollywood, everybody needs money from I mean China. NBA too, yeah. Yeah, NBA seriously, like every major corporation like I mean every celebrity is on behind of China and then that's why like it's so scary like how much Americans are not, you know, standing up for what is right but they are choosing the economic incentive and this is so scary. Mm. Yeah, they do seem to be going that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked a lot about this stuff. Let's <laughs> let's just switch up topics just a little bit. Yeah. I know you read the book that Alex and I wrote. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Bitcoin? Does it have any place in this realm of human rights that you're familiar with? Definitely. I think I am a classical liberal. So like you, I am, yeah, like a libertarian, I'm definitely... Mm-hmm. I support all the social causes like transgender rights or gay marriage, all of it. I'm so for it, but I want the government to stay out of it as much as they can because mm. I do not trust government. Government is a collection of people who have different interests and usually their own interests. Mm. And it's not a government, some kind of almighty God can have power to fix everyone's misery and take care of our life, right? So like that, even the currents that government controls is so scary. Mm. And like North Korea, what if one day they said like you only can have thirty thousand yuan, and then like rest of your money is like now nah, papers, it's like trash. Mm. <laughs> what stops us? Nothing. Mm. So bringing power to this power into people's hands is so empowering and is so revolutionizing in my mind that I can't even like yeah put into words that the. This is a, such an important step for us to become even freer than before from the government. And I didn't understand Bitcoin until I read your book. <laughs> it was such a hard concept coming from North Korea, you know, it was <laughs> so hard. And reading that book was like, oh, now it makes sense. And also how it, this Bitcoin can empower people living especially under the oppression and the governments that is not on check. Mm. You know, like, China especially, like you can never trust your own government. They can take all your puddings away right away. Mm. And that's why I think this is such another way for us to find a solution and combat. Yeah, it's it's certainly being used in China, but it's going up against what you were talking about earlier, the social credit system and Uh, uh, the score and everything else. It really does feel like there's almost like every country seems to want some sort of like you know, very surveillable currency that they're going to be able to use. I mean, how much of that do you think can change? I think it's almost like our, especially at least in America, we still have that time to fight back. Like you know, when I was in India, it was so scary. The government really wanted to know everything. So they were trying to become a cashless mm. and also limits how much money you can take out from ATM machine. Mm. And even if it's your own money, if the government spends, you don't even know, you can't even get it out and spend it. Like almost like it's similar to North Korea, right? Mm. If the like, government's one day, I'm going to shut down the bank and you're going to, <laughs> what are you going to do? Seriously. And the places you cannot use the cards. Mm. And it was like, oh my God, this is like, it's crazy how much we give power to this is the most untrustworthy organization called the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, to me, like they are the worst thing, thing can happen to us. 
I mean, if we keep them on track and limited, it can do good for us. But they are always a danger of become like become corrupt.、Mm. And I think that's why in America, why we still have that chance to fight back. People need to, I think, understand more on this Bitcoin and how we can be in charge of this and not rely on the government.、Mm. And I think that's what is important. What you guys are doing now, really educating us. And on the dangers of the government, and like especially after this COVID, I'm so worried about you know inflation.、Mm. So they're printing out so much money. Where is coming from? Nothing is free. <laughs> <laughs> Or like this is really not a good time. I mean, I am happy, but still, it's a very concerning time.、Mm. And I don't know how the COVID is gonna end. How it's gonna change our permanent like, economy ever after this. So it is time for us all take a pause and we think how we trust government, how we take charge in our life again.、Mm. Yeah, and you're singing to the choir right here, and we're preaching to the choir right here. Yeah, I, mean,、like、I totally agree, and it, it's so crazy to me that people are trying to, I don't know, print even more money, and like so much of that money ends up going abroad, and then. Yeah. Now that then there's like U.S. dollars available abroad, so what do they do? Well, they devalue their own currency, and then you get hyperinflation in all sorts of other places. It, it's just such a terrible system that a lot of people just don't realize that you know the U.S. can essentially export inflation to other places, and it's a game that can go on a long time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, this is like what I have to learn more. It's like.、Mm-hmm. Because I think, like you guys said, it's they make it complicated. And common people cannot understand it on purpose, even though it shouldn't be this complicated. <laughs> and and then when we go to university, we don't learn about these things. And so what we learn is like how to hate white men. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a, like if I were like parents, this is the、like, first thing I want my son to read, like the book that you wrote. Mm. It's a pocket、uh. book for Bitcoin, right? That's like the first book that I want my son to learn because <laughs> it's essential, right? It's not、mm. bad. Money itself is never a bad thing. So it's a method for us to live life fully, and we need to understand it because almost like people live for money. We work for money. Without money, we can never survive.、Mm. But still, such a literal understanding of the money that we work for all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so few people understand the money. Yeah, that's really sad. I mean, this has been like such a crazy conversation. I never thought we would get to all of these topics, but it sounds like you're kind of politically more libertarian than、yeah. maybe classically conservative or liberal or something like that. No, I am not definitely not liberal. That's what I'm so sure about. <laughs> I am not conservative because I am so not into government regulating marriage or none of、mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I am libertarian, but I still believe in borders、mm-hmm. and strong army because,、mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the I mean we pay so much taxes to this build country,、mm-hmm. so we cannot like let everyone to come and whatever the one thing they want to do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I do believe in. I'm not like anarchist. I believe in strong defense and the、mm-hmm. borders, and government to protect us from enemies because、mm-hmm. they're like. Threats that we have from the countries in the Middle East, like North Korea, trying to blow up America. <laughs>、mm. I think it is government role to protect us.、Mm. I am like for some limited government, but not like no government person. And some libertarians I met, they were so like 
there, like no borders, no military, <laughs> like nothing is like, oh no, you're such a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So what are some of your favorite books on, I don't know, anything, I guess. I know you read a lot and I'm always looking for good book recommendations and I'm sure my audience is too. So you got anything for us? I read the, did you read the book called The Madness of Crowd? No, I've been meaning to. Good thing you reminded me. It's pretty good. It really made me think a lot. And I recently just read a book by Dave Rubin. It's called Don't Burn This Book. Don't burn this book. Literally, yeah, don't burn this book. And I re- recently very inspired by Candice Owens. Mm-hmm. The book just came out. It's called Blackout. And mm-hmm. really rethinking about Democratic Party and how they were being the most racist party and now pretending they are not. Mm-hmm. And how they were creating KKK. I did not know. Mm-hmm. So I did not know the Democratic Party was creating apartheid and creating KKK and now switch their position. They're like opportunist <laughs> and, and it's a very refreshing because herself is like african i mean i don't even want to say african-american because she's not from africa she was born in america yeah, yeah. that drives me crazy by the way when like you know you're watching the olympics or something and there's a black french person and it's like this is an african-american it's, it's not from africa not from america i that does not work yeah so she herself like knows it and how they because I live in, in America, I mean, Chicago, I saw the mm-hmm. first hand of the South Side. And mm-hmm. the problem is really Democrats keep telling them they are the victims and mm-hmm. they have no ability to rise beyond their trauma. And also, you know, the they don't like government is keep babying them. So the fathers are not staying at home and they don't take the responsibility of their behavior. Mm-hmm. All these black children growing up in a family where there are no fathers. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it was so like, yeah, it was very so much fast for me to learn, and those things like new inspiration I got recently. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely check out those books, and I'm sure my audience will too. Where can people find you? I have recently started a YouTube channel called Voice of North Korea by mm. Yanmi Park, or I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Not TikTok because of obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, other platforms, they definitely find me there. Yeah. Okay, great. And it's all under, I think, at Young Me Park, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was a really enlightening conversation. And yeah, I mean, I hope you get more books out because I think you have a lot to share with the world. Oh, thank you, Jimmy. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I hope to talk to you soon again. Okay. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Yummy can be found at at YummyParkNK on Twitter and on YouTube as Yummy Park Official. Until next time, fiat delenda est.